1: You're listening to The Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to Chapter 58 of The Corona Diaries. And, H and I, before we start, H and I do a little clap and we do this as a syncing thing, except we—it doesn't never work. So we always giggle about it because it's always like five seconds out. But he's just clapped, and the and, and the effort involving clapping has pretty much wiped him out for the That's morning.
0: It. Yeah, I'm totally buggered now. Um,
1: we were just talking because you're you're feeling a little fuzzy, aren't you? Yes,
0: yes, yes. I was. I even I even predicted it on Instagram. I, I did. I put a post up yesterday about you drinking did. gin. Uh, and I went for option C, yes. which was B, which was A, which was which yes. Which was A, which was gin. Um, and so, and that was all fine and going very well until somebody said, why don't we have a nice glass of red? And I went, oh, lovely. And That was a mistake. So that was a turning point. And... Um, it's fine. It's fine. I don't want the listeners to get the impression that I'm a constantly sloshed. No. Um
1: No no, no, I mean like now you're 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 recovering.
0: <laughs> exactly. Constantly exactly. recovering. That's constantly that. recovering. <laughs> That's better.
1: I think we'll go with that. <coughs> So, so anyway, you we saying it was a really nice, solid session. Five o'clock start, eleven o'clock finish. Very mm. civilized, that
0: it was. And, and we had, and eating, we had eating. Yeah, and eating so yes. it wasn't just you know getting leathered. Mm. Um, it was very nice. Was yeah, very, good. Very, very, in the garden, you know, as you must on the on the warm evenings. God knows we don't get many.
1: We don't. You got to do it. I think you're right. I Think mm. you're right. Um. Before we start, I've got a couple of bits of housekeeping. Oh, lovely! Uh, yes, one um, shall have another Hoover. <laughs> yeah, if you like. Um, <coughs> um, bit of, bit of bit of dusting. Uh, I bet you've got one of those dusters on a those long things for doing cobwebs, haven't you?
0: <laughs> Why do you bet that? I, I, I just don't know. You have, haven't you? Have I got a whiff of Miss Habersham about me? You have. You have. <laughs> no, in fact, as I sit here. I'm ashamed to say there's a few cobwebs on the windows that have been there for ages. And because this is the music room, in other words, Lynetta doesn't come in here, um, it's a bit of a disgrace, frankly. Is exactly. it? Um, so I could do with one of those. Right. i tell you, you what I did have, which I bought in a market by the lake in Hamburg off a really interesting German lady. Who looked a bit like Nico or something um, she was selling she was selling curious brushes <laughs> that were sort of black and white striped uh, a bit like bottle brushes, but softer, right. something you could get down the back of a radiator with, and I thought it was fascinating <laughs> um, and they weren 't cheap, and I bought one and took it round Europe on a promo tour. And I think I've got it in a cupboard here somewhere, but uh, Lynetta doesn't approve for some reason. I think it's because the bottle brush lady looked like Nico rather than anything against the brush per se.
1: The kind of thing
0: that you could have used to clean out a demijohn. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) There's a phrase I haven't heard in years. Whether he wanted it or not. Yes, yes.
1: (laughs) As opposed to semi John, which is a different thing altogether. <laughs> yes, you um, need a thinner brush for cleaning that. Yeah, yes. Um <laughs> Anyway, anyway, back to my housekeeping. There was a slight <laughs> issue for those for those people who listen um on a monday there was a slight issue with the podcast yesterday for whatever reason oh. it didn't sync through captivate so it ended up being three or four hours late before it all sorted itself out and i don't know why because the fight the file was on it and it didn't and it didn't work and then i deleted the file reapplied the same file and it worked fine so how bizarre so apologies if you were a few hours out yesterday but it was a bank holiday and nobody noticed but uh, uh, it's all right, it's all fine now, it's all sorted and, um, and, and thanks to the person that, that alerted me to that, so apologies for that.
0: I haven't had bit... any nasty messages.
1: No. There's, there's
0: been the usual level of bonhomie coming Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, there was nothing, no, nobody got particularly, I think everybody had a bit of a sesh yesterday afternoon so nobody's really picked up on it. Yeah,
0: I think being purple just puts people in a good mood. All the time? Everybody seems jolly. Whenever yeah, they send me messages all cool. the time.
1: The other bit of housekeeping is: um, Do you know a chap called Paul Rose?
0: No, that's not the bloke from Shits Creek, is it?
1: No, but I've just started watching that. Though that's <laughs> fantastic.
0: <laughs> He's not running the apothecary,
1: no, or anything, no, is he? No, no, no
0: I Paul... d- I, His name does ring a bell, but I, right. I, I would say that I, I don't know him. Right. The, okay, well the, Well Paul know. and his wife
1: do the other Marillion podcast. Uh oh, Between is there You one? and Me. There's another one called Between You and Me. Well And um and what they're doing is she, he's a big fan and she's she's being um introduced to Marillion. Right. um album by album and, and they're charting the experience as she goes through the albums and they're discussing them as they go along. Cool, yeah. Um, which I think is a remarkable strain to put on a marriage, but then, then I, you know, I'll, I'll leave that, I'll leave that to them. Yes. Whatever floats the boat. And
0: God knows I have.
1: <laughs> but I was on that podcast. The, I'm on that podcast this week. Oh, uh, Paul fantastic. asked me if I wanted to chat about a diaries, and I said yes, no problem at all. But anyway, it turns out since I recorded that, Paul's got the old COVID. Oh no! So mm. I think he's okay. Where does uh, he live? Oh, uh, uh, I do. You know what? I haven't got a clue. I didn't oh. ask him. Oh. So, uh, so sending best wishes to Paul. Yeah, um, I hope you 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 pick up soon, Paul. And 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 there you are. There's another Merlion podcast. Good lord,
0: good lord, good so lord. I think he'd like, like you to go on it at some about? point. No, I mean I've been naively thinking we're kind of through it. That's mm. probably just singer's selfish ego. I've had my jabs. It's over.
1: It's um, fine for me.
0: I'm done. Is it? No, mm. it's not. No.
1: Anyway, so best wishes, Paul, and uh, and I think he'd like you to. You he, he, at some point he might ask if you if you kind of like to go on uh, oh, the well, other right. Meridian podcast. So you'd have to give that some thought. Okay. Um, but oh, well, uh, um, but he's very nice fellow. Had a nice work chat with on him. Nice.
0: Bedside Manor. Mm,
1: yes, indeed. Right. Anyway, um, for
0: fifty-eight, because Be a good name he, for a large house in the country, though, wouldn't it? Bedside Manor. <laughs> Anyway, carry on. Anyway, carry on.
1: Mm. Carry on. God love that. Oh, it's terrible bedside manner.
0: Oh, uh, sounds dear. like something in Surrey. <laughs> 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 right. Anyway,
1: so um, we had such a fantastic response to last week's vocal episode. About mm. you re- recording your your vocals and doing your stuff, mm. we've had a lot of questions, so I thought we'd we'd carry on in that kind of vein this week and 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 fill out a few more bits and pieces. And I've got loads of stuff that coming came in from the Purples, so we'll we'll kind of start there. Um, the first thing was Matthew Watson told us that Peter Gabriel records his vocals exactly the same way that you did with Meeks with the uh, speakers and the out of face
0: Yeah, I saw that message, and I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Whether that's just a, if you'll pardon the pun, phase that Peter went through uh, or whether he still does it that way, who can say? Who can um, say? I don't know. Next time I'm in a room with him, I'll still be too frightened to ask.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've got to. You've got to. <laughs> we we need to know now. <laughs>
0: so. you. <yeah. laughs> I was rummaging around in your back swings, Peter, the other the other day, and real world, and the thought occurred to me—that kind of thing. Yes.
1: Yes. <clears throat> Are you out of phase, Peter? <laughs> um, Jeff Martin, and Jeff Martin's a lovely fella, Jeff Martin um, wants to know what a bus is.
0: Oh God! Well, a bus is um, basically, for want of a better expression a long piece of a long piece of copper or wire that a great many things are fastened to. <clears throat> so in a mixing desk, a bus would be <clears throat> hang on a minute, I've got a I've got a bus in my throat. Bus in you. <clears throat> Damn! <clears throat> um It's a bat's wing. It's um, A bus is the sort of thing that can connect lots and lots of channels together and you can feed things to a bus because <laughs> they're quite hungry um, uh, by turning up a knob and sending. So, so you could, for instance, have um, a reverb send on a bus. Um, so you could have the input of the reverb connected to that and, um, so that on any of your desk channels if you've got 30 odd things going on you know that are all different inputs you could turn a knob on that individual channel feed that signal to the bus thereby applying reverb to it um I hope that's true, or, uh, or whether I just made all that up and it's bollocks. You, and you're no, looking. I, I, you've got that expression that, that like I've gone off on one. and It's got nothing to do with what a bus is.
1: No, no, no. Big you, red you, thing with no. lots of,
0: with four wheels, obviously yeah. as well.
1: And they go round and round. <laughs> as and, rule.
0: and Brian Wilson was given to shouting "bus" at random <laughs> um, whilst being <laughs> interviewed at one point. Um. Somebody was talking to him, interviewing him, and he just kept going. Bus. Um. Who Who knows why? But he he did.
1: <laughs> like TFL Tourettes. was
0: <laughs> <laughs> producers Tourettes. So what's a bus? Is that not one? No, he, I, no, one, no I
1: was going to give an example that was that hopefully was going to help. So oh. you would. In a studio, you'd often put a number of microphones on a drum kit. Mm. So you'd you you'd have over overheads and you'd have a snare and you'd have a kick drum and you maybe would do the the toms as well. And if you if you fed all of those individual channels to a bus, then on one fader you could turn the entire kit up and down, couldn't you? Or yes. you could add a effect to the entire kit.
0: A sub mix.
1: Yes. Mm. So, so that would be a kind of way of describing it. So, yes. in a practical sense, and also, if you're doing a mix with your fingers, if you're moving the faders to change how it all goes, obviously you've only got ten fingers, mm. and if you've got twenty or thirty things going on, then the ability to move one fader to effectively move half mm. a dozen things is helpful. You've that would, does does
0: that help additional parts of your body? You you, you would or, yeah, or you have have to have a friend. Indeed,
1: indeed. Errol could do 11 but, but we'll leave that you, one
0: there. You know you've not got to fight with him when he pushes his too no. far up.
1: No, no. This is no because if his middle finger goes up a bit high.
0: Hell is other people. Mm. Though you yeah. would
1: see that, you would see two people doing mixers, wouldn't you?
0: In the old in the 70s. In the old days. Yeah before it mm. was all automated.
1: because it used to be that when you were so the the faders on a mixing desk it used to be when you did your final mix if you wanted to move the 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 levels as it was going on you had to do it in real time didn't you Mm. you had to move everything as it was going along so if you want to change the volume of say guitar solo you had to move it as you were doing the final master
0: yeah and if anything went wrong you'd have to start again yeah do it all over again
1: so mixing desk technologies change massively since what we what you just said that automation which allows things to happen on their own
0: mm. oh yes they used to have desks that you know had motorized knobs and faders where you 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 could automate and mix and then just sit there a bit like a driverless car mm. watching all the faders go up and down as though a ghost was operating them which was you know quite amusing and then mm. you could you know, you could do things like um, you could put things on the desk so that when the faders moved, it forced them to move around as well, uh, which wasn't in the manual. But um, foolish musicians uh, could have a lot of fun with shit like that. I know a great story actually about um, with these automated motorized things. Uh, people would write. People would write. Uh, people would would write words in the faders, um, and then hit a button that would make all the faders jump to those words, you know, like twat or something, (laughs) so that if somebody said anything out of turn, you could just discreetly (laughs) press one button and the desk would say twat at that person. (laughs) And another thing that happened, this is a good one, I don't know, I wasn't there, but it's apocryphal, is that um, when uh, yes were in the studio working with Trevor Horn. Um, they uh, the kids came in while Trevor was halfway through a mix and had gone somewhere for a cup of tea, and wrote their names in all of the little push buttons because when they push a button, the light comes on. Um, and he came back and nearly committed suicide because <laughs> it completely wrecked a mix he'd been working on for days. <laughs> so never let your children into the control room. No, cats, because that way disaster lies. Mm. Um, <clears throat> yes, yeah, sorry, I went off on a bit of a no. motorised tangent. No. These days, you've got it all in in computers. And you have. You don't need any knobs flying about. No. You can set a level. You can take any channel and you can actually draw the levels in with a pen if you mm. like, or you can program them in uh, a bit at a time with your mouse. Of course, you do need a very well-trained mouse for that. <laughs> but there's a college in Guildford, I believe they go to. ACM, isn't it, in Guildford?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it is. The
0: M is for mouse. For mouse, Yeah. <laughs> And sees for clever automatic control mouse. College, automatic
1: control mouse. <laughs>
0: oh, I like that. I like that. Can you tell that we're recovering this morning? Um... <laughs> what have I done with my automatic control mouse? <laughs> I haven't seen it for a couple of weeks. Have you not? Shouldn't have put that poison in the cupboard. Anyway, Jeff, that's that's
1: that's a bus, Jeff. <laughs> there, there, there you have it. A um... bus. Je- yeah. Josephine Elliott sent a wonderful message in with a, I don't know why, with a link. To, oh, I, I know why, because it was to do with Benelyn, A link to a Top of the Pops episode where mm. the song Without You by Nielsen is playing, but for mm. whatever reason, they put it out over the video to um, Benny Hill, uh, Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West. Oh, God. And, it, and I've watched it this morning and it's bizarre.
0: Oh, I'll have to get get onto that. I'll send you the link. I'll send you the link.
1: Um, we
0: had a bit of a Benny Hill scene, didn't we? Last yeah, week?
1: we had that. The, that was superb. <laughs> that the, that was. I don't know wh- how we're going to beat that this week. <laughs> that was phenomenal.
0: They've taken a turn, these crooners. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, was, that was. I don't know
1: where we're going after that. Um, but anyway, so yes, um, Josephine Elephant, uh, Elephant Josephine Elliott, uh, <laughs> Benny Hill um, video with Nielsen without you playing underneath. Quite quite magnificent. Right, back onto a serious question. Uh, um, Sean, uh, Sean McKee, um, how often when comping a vocal have you thought that you just don't like any of them?
0: Well, there's always something to like, even in the shittest takes. You usually find a syllable. You go, right? I'm (laughs) pretty good about that. (laughs) There's always something, but um, sometimes when I'm singing um, lead vocals, and you know, even even if I've done six or seven takes, um, you know, I might conclude, or Mike might conclude that um i'm not really on it for whatever reason you know i'm not in the mood or i've got a frog in my throat or a um a, a boss and um and so sometimes, despite not really being on it, I'll comp that anyway, just to squeeze a bit of whatever it's got out of it. Um and, you know, with with the intention all along of going back in and singing it again another day, which is an option. Um, mm-hmm. It's good to know you can do that because it reduces a bit of the red light, ah, I've got to get it right feeling because you're much better off thinking none of this really matters, you know. It, um, All that really matters is that I get inside the song and sing it and if it's not right and I sing it out of tune or I've got a frog in my throat or whatever, we'll come back another day and do it. In fact, when I was working with Megan, um, that must have been during the Brave album, I think I would, if there was anything that was quite a low register in my voice, we would do those in the mornings when my voice was thicker because my voice is usually thicker in the mornings and a bit more. Hmm, <laughs> Carlsberg. Um, and in the evenings, I, I can usually hit higher notes, so that can be quite interesting. I've got a theory listening to a lot of these U two records as well, which might be worth might be worth people going and checking out. Um, I've got a I've got a theory that Bono does really quiet vocals where he's almost whispering and then does really loud ones where he's screaming his head off and then cuts between them in the comp. Because if you listen to a lot of those U2 records, there's this mad kind of, you don't, it doesn't bother you, but it, it, it gives it a vibe where it, where certain syllables would be really, and, and others will be like, ah. And, and you think, cook could he actually sing like that, or is it just Brian Eno faffing about and having a good time with the takes? Uh, it's the kind of thing Eno would do. Do you know what I mean? For yeah. a lap, you know, yeah. because just he's a creative you guy. I think I wonder what that would sound like. It's a it's a mad thought. And then having done it, so you know what this kind of works. Uh, I wonder if they actually. I don't know if they've done that. But sometimes I listen to U2 records and wonder. Um, So you can, you know, with any technology, you can use it as an instrument in itself. I mean, obviously there's all that auto-tune madness that Mm. Cher famously did and Do You Believe in Life After Love and all of that. Where you just reduce the correction time down to zero and it effectively more or less turns the voice into a synthesizer. Yeah. Um, and people are, you know, use that as become quite fashionable in certain areas. Um, I've, I've never stooped to that. But, you know, one day when I've had a drink, who can say? <laughs> Possibly today. <laughs> I tell you what did happen I don't know if people know this when I did all the vo- vocals for um, fuck everyone and run I did all the lead vocals on this new microphone system that was it was expensive it was a it was a brand new I won't name what it is because I don't want to end up in court but I did it on this new mic system that can become any classic mm. mic with plugins, you mm. you you apply plugins, and you can have any of the microphones in various famous stu- studios' cupboards. You know, you can, oh, I will have a nice U forty-seven from the Hit Factory or, or whatever, and apply that to the sound, which sounds quite groovy. I thought, oh, that, that sounds groovy! I'll buy one of those, and I bought one. And we did all the lead vocals with it and Mike put all the vocals together and sent me the comp, they sent me the, the takes to comp and I hated all of it um, and I, could, I didn't know why and I listened to them and I thought it's something spiritually Wrong. that's gone. And none of this is moving me. It sounds great. It sounds fine. It's definitely me. Um, But it ain't messing with me. It's just not messing with me at all. And it should be. You know, um, there should be something in this that that moves me. And it didn't. Um, And so I I had a difficult phone call. I phoned Mike up and said, I want to do it all again. And he went, what? Because that was about two weeks of studio time down the blinking pan, um, and we went back in and I recorded everything again with the uh, with the U forty seven, the 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 uh, hired in one, the Neumann, and that's that's what happened with the vocals on Fear. So, in answer to your question, you you you, c- you can find yourself in a place where you do hate all of it for whatever reason either either cuz you weren't very good on the day or because you've taken a irrational dislike to the microphone mm. that
1: it's funny because guitar modeling um whereby you plug into a box and it's meant to sound like any different amplifier. That's been around for a long, long time and it's kind of been accepted. The purists <coughs> still will say to you, it doesn't sound the same. And of course it doesn't sound the same, but it's relatively close. And for recording, it really, really works. Mic modelling came a lot, lot later and hasn't, you're, you know, I, I didn't know your example, but hasn't really taken off. So for whatever reason, it's not it's not working mm. um, because the technology's theoretically the same you 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 get in a room you get all these classic mics and you you record them and you model that sound yeah and, it, and it's theoretically possible um you know and the guitarists have got it onto a stage where they're all come. Kind of, they all use these thing called kempers which are these profiling and modeling amps and it allows you to take a box anywhere around the world and it's got everything in it and it's the size of a small case but mm. no i've not heard of it working for mics. so i was quite that backs up that theory then that it's not quite there
0: I think Lol's got one of those. I think Lol Cream uses one of those. I think he does. Mm. Um, he probably has somebody else twiddle the knobs mm. for him. What about have you ever had a vocal <coughs> that you
1: really liked but then just didn't work with the track? As in the vocal on its own, great. Put it against the track, not quite right.
0: No, not that I remember. Because obviously, normally, I'm I'm singing to the the track track. when I'm singing, so um, I would tend to. You can't uh, remove yourself from that, really, but quite often I'll I'll say to Mike or whoever I'm working with, "Is does this sound over sung? You know, Mm. is it too full on? Is it too dramatic? You know, um, because the approach to to the, the the vocal performance has got a lot to do with the energy and the music so if you've got a really big track um <clears throat> and you're you're really hollering and you know you're really being dramatic that that can work really well but if if the if the songs if the track's a bit more delicate and you're doing that it sounds awful mm. um and sometimes when you're doing it, you need you need to ask who's listening to it. Is this a bit too much? Chris Neal used to say to me when I was when we were doing holidays in Eden. He'd say, uh, "There's a bit too much face on that." Um, I like that. Can you can you do it again with slightly less face? And I would. You know, I think he was referring to just general sort mm. of drama and emoting and putting it on a bit, I suppose, um, he'd say a bit less space and I'd, I'd do something that felt slightly blander. And they'd go, oh, that's better. Um, so it's really, I'm, I'm always happy to receive feedback from whoever's recording, hmm. you know, up to a point, up to a point where they go, <laughs> you wanker, you can't sing to save your life. That's not necessarily good. No, but um, but no, it's 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 good if they <coughs> if they say you know a bit more of this, a bit less of that. No, you know, and and I, I will always say, is this a bit much? You know, and Michael going, no, no, it's sitting in really well. You know, you you it's happening, mm. but it's nice to be told that sometimes because you can't quite work it out yourself. Mm.
1: Um, is the I was gonna. I was gonna say the obvious question, and it does seem too obvious. And I'll, I'm trying not to use the word favorite. Then, is there a vocal take you you're particularly pleased with? If you go back, is the you know anything that you think actually? Do you know what? And na- I really, really nailed that because you're going to be your harshest critic, aren't you?
0: So, I, I don't honestly know uh, because I listen to our music so rarely. Mm. Um. And I think to answer that question, I'd have to be away from it for quite a long time and then go, go back to it. it. And and then, my, again, the answer to that question would be coloured by the fact that I'd be able to hear that I was younger. You know, yeah. I think, oh, it's a bit th-, you know, my voice was a bit thinner back then or it was a bit more airy-fairy or something because it's thickened a little bit with time for the better i think but that might be just because that's where i am in my life now um so listening to you know vocal performances from 20 odd years ago is almost like listening to a child singing um it's so (coughs) you you feel a little bit um because I think human beings are very sensitive to the sound of their own voice, you know, quite often. If, if you're not used to hearing yourself recorded, you know, mo- that's most people's first reaction to hearing their voice recorded is, mm. oh, God, do I sound like that. That never really goes away. <laughs>
1: no. No, no. No, I mean, in all seriousness, no, because the thing is, I listen to this every week and, and it, take, it took a long time to be able to listen to my own voice.
0: Well, imagine having to listen to yourself singing. Same. Yeah, that's that ups the ante a bit yeah. more. Um, I mean, I think I think the the vocal on "Afraid of the Sunlight" is pretty damn good. Mm. Um, but again, you know, my opinion of that is probably coloured by what a great mix it is. Yeah, you know, and where it takes me. Um, it, it, if a performance takes you somewhere then it's done its job you know mm. it's, there's so much to a great performance you know singing the tune and in tune and in the groove more or less are all good things but you're after more than that you're after taking taking someone on a trip mm. we've well, got to, you've got to be on you've got to be on that trip yourself yeah. to, to for it for it to be recorded you can't fake that trip because people are very sensitive to truth in art i think you can just i don't know sniff it if it, if it's true you can sniff it and if it's not quite true you can sniff that whether you know it or not Think it, and so the true things move you in a way that fiction doesn't quite
1: mm. and you've, you've got a lyric to do justice to as well haven't
0: you yeah, you've got to be thinking about where you were when you wrote those words and why you wrote them. You've got to take yourself back to that place, and you've got to do that when you sing live as well. Mm. You've got to be there, um, and that's hard because you you're staring at a load of people. Yeah. You know, there's a performance aspect and a, and a, a knowledge of the room you're in and everything that's going on in the room, which can kick you out of that uh groove all the time but that's where you where, where i'm supposed to be is in that place um that the song came from that's what i'm trying to achieve every night
1: hmm. um one very quick question to end with um anywhere in particular is the perfect place for you to record a vocal
0: Hmm. Well, Nassau, Bahamas would be nice, uh, but
1: I—that's <laughs> fair.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, on a beach in Barbados, right? I, I <laughs> no, I mean It—the it, perfect place is in your head. It's yeah. not. It's not a place on earth. No. Right. Um, we'll get
1: onto some diary. Um before we start, a little caveat from last week. Um as I was listening as I was listening to the edit before it went out, uh, I realised I'd asked you that question about Roger Taylor, um, in a section of diary that you hadn't read. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I realised that yeah. while I was reading the diary. <laughs> so Roger's coming today, isn't yes, he? So, yeah. So if you think back to that
1: question about Roger Taylor from last week, the actual diary <laughs> section's coming today. Um, and that, that that was me because we occasionally we'll we'll decide, depending on the length of the episode, we'll decide on whether we do an extra day in the diary reading or not. Um, so we ended up going with a slightly shorter diary reading last week because of the length of, of the episode. So um, So hence... I'd yeah. prepped
0: for Roger, but Roger. Didn't, Nobody do knew how to work that coffee machine, so it was <laughs> it was quite quite heartening to see him struggling. <laughs> Made me feel less stupid.
1: So we'll get to Roger today, along with other stuff. I've got a few questions for afterwards. Um, but where where was that? Where I'm trying to remember where it was. Where that was, was that? Was in the
0: Rustly Hotel in in Zurich. Right, uh, which we always used to. St- it's only a little hotel. We always used to stay in it when when we went and did promo in Switzerland. Mm. That wasn't um, that wasn't the it, part of the Pascal Chouvet incident. That all happened in Geneva. Right, but Roger and the toaster was Zurich. <laughs> Go on,
1: then let's get to Zurich. Let's get to Zurich and have a and have a bit of Roger. <laughs> <laughs> <are our> memories. <laughs>
0: Thursday 22nd of June. Zurich, day off. Got up bleary-eyed around nine for a ten o'clock start to the day's interviews. For some reason, the rustly hot water system was suffering from its annual, Day tell us, malfunction. So the shower was bracing. I arrived in the breakfast room at 9.55 And tried to remember how to operate their curious coffee machines. You have to get a little plastic cartridge thing out of a sealed packet and then slam it into the machine with a little metal door before it dribbles espresso into your cup. I've never seen them anywhere else. I remember watching Roger Taylor, drummer from Queen, grappling with it when I stayed here once before. I'm going shopping. This is a good city to buy a toaster he said before leaving. Drummers tend to have their own window on the world. Ian rang down and said he was going to be a little late owing to the time taken, summoning up the courage to get into the shower. Interviews lasted until around 6.15 with a 90-minute break for lunch at a Thai restaurant round the corner. I don't know why it should be, but the Swiss journalists are, on the whole, my favourite in the world. I never know who they write for or what they say because I don't speak the language. Yet here in the breakfast room of the Rustley I've been asked the most intelligent and interesting questions. Pierre-Michel Mayer and Nicky, I never knew his second name, are among the best of the lot. By contrast, there are radio interviews. We went to a radio station in the afternoon where we were interviewed by a girl who seemed more excited by the arrival of her boyfriend in the building than in either of us. Fair enough. They've got you over a barrel, and they know it. In the evening, we had 40 minutes to freshen up before going out to dinner with the record company, so I got in the bath with Leo Tolstoy and splashed in the bubbles while Napoleon ransacked Smolensk. Dinner with the record company lasted until around 12.30. Erwin Bach, the new MD, also known for being Tina Turner's other half, came over and was friendly and pleasant, despite being obviously tired. He could have said the same about me, I guess. It was nice to see the Swiss record company again. Old friends Daniela, Minure, who Ian calls Mini Roll, and Peter. After six plus years in the band, I've now been with the MI longer than most of the staff worldwide. It's a funny feeling. I feel a bit like that dog listening to the gramophone on the old his master's voice logo. Woof. Announced to Gabby that I will do tomorrow morning's phoners in the bath and went to bed. Friday, twenty third of June, Zurich, Amsterdam. Got up and decided that I wasn't in the mood for being interviewed in the bath. Had a shower and went downstairs for much needed coffee. Gabby and Anne were already in reception. I was handed a phone and poured out my innermost thoughts and feelings into a piece of plastic to someone I have never met at the receiving end. The word prostitute springs to mind, doesn't it? Or Samaritans. Then I went back upstairs to the breakfast room to talk to someone who'd just arrived. Blah, blah, OJ Simpson, blah, blah, Kurt Cobain, blah, etc., By the time I'd finished we were already late for our flight to Amsterdam so I grabbed my things and hurried to Gabby's car lamenting not having found the time to buy finger cymbals at the music shop round the corner. Zurich's a good place for percussion as well as toasters. Hurry up and hang about. Seems to be the catchphrase most relevant to international travel. Having checked in at Zurich Airport and said goodbye to Gabby and Anne, she was returning to London, Ian and I made our way to the gate to be told there was a one-hour delay. Great. Today was to be the only day this week that I had a couple of hours off, during which, of course, I'd been planning to sleep. We bought coffee with a 20 Deutschmark note I found in my top pocket and talked about life, forgetting about the time until our names were called over the P.A., We were told off by an airport official who looked like one of those warders in Prisoner Cell Block H and we hurried onto the plane only to sit on the stand for another 30 minutes. When we arrived at Skipol we waited at the baggage carousel for half an hour before the luggage came through. Jacqueline from EMI had been waiting for well over an hour but was nonetheless relaxed and happy to see us. We made our way by minibus to the American Hotel rapidly becoming something of a second home, when Jacqueline broke the news to me that there were two interviews scheduled for this afternoon. This would fill up the gap between arriving at the American and leaving for Arnhem at 5.15. I would have to find somewhere to sleep at the gig. The one-hour journey to Arnhem was spent autographing CD sleeves. By the time we arrived at the Luxor Theatre... I felt quite sick as a result of reading and writing for an hour, combined with general tiredness and the movement of the bus. Yuck. Soundcheck was lengthy and troublesome, and therefore nerve-wracking. Tonight's show is going out live on the radio, Mark isn't with us, so I'm covering the keyboard parts, and I was depending on a run-through of the set at Soundcheck. The monitor engineer wasn't up to the job in hand and everything kept changing in between loud bangs and crackles. After an initial attempt to sound check, it was decided that certain items of equipment must be replaced before we could continue. So we hung around for another hour and tried again. This time was better and we managed to more or less sort things out before the doors were opened. Bert from EMI was to take us out to a Japanese restaurant for dinner. I declined, opting for an hour on the dressing room couch. It was my only hope. I dozed for a while, listening to the noises in the street down below and to the coming and going of theatre staff, who unfortunately needed to pass through the dressing room to gain access to an office. Nonetheless, an hour of relative stillness can make all the difference, and I felt better for it. Chatted to the Dutch fan club people on the stairs at the side of stage. I was getting tense vibes from the opening act, which I interpreted as some sort of resentment over their sound and sound check, or lack of it. It's the old story, I'm afraid. In all the shows I've played with this band, there's never, to my knowledge, been an incident where we or our crew have deliberately sabotaged the opening act's chances of being judged fairly but on occasions like these, when the stage crew are substandard and there are equipment problems, we will naturally attend to our own problems in the time available and the opening act will have to work with whatever is left. I remember only too well that it feels deliberate and unfair. Stage time was one in the morning. The show was enthusiastically received by the crowd, better than we deserved under the circumstances. The equipment problems continued due to the supplied stage crew not knowing their arse from a jack socket and the keyboard player seemed to be malfunctioning somewhat due to insufficient rehearsal, nerves, exhaustion and having to sing at the same time. The crowd, transfixed and grinning with pleasure, still continued to stare up at me as though I had the whole thing under control. We really do get away with murder. Thank you, thank you, Arnhem. After the show, Steve R and I were interviewed by a DJ on the balcony. This entailed walking us through the crowd like a pair of boxers, flanked by large security chaps who were there not to protect us, for we were in no danger whatsoever, but to make sure we arrived at the other end. We would probably have got chatting to someone otherwise. Back in the dressing room, it was like Paddington Station, so I decided not to shower, just to pack my things and get ready to leave. It was already three and we still had to drive back to Amsterdam. Arrived back at the American Hotel around four in the morning and got in the bath. Got to bed around 4.20. Phew. Saturday, 24th of June. Amsterdam to Birmingham. Got up at 10.30 and went downstairs to the restaurant cafe for a light breakfast and coffee. It was a lovely day outside The sun was shining on the trams and canals and the people cycling and walking by. What a pity we couldn't have taken a late afternoon flight and spent Saturday here. Birmingham in the rain doesn't really pack much appeal compared to Amsterdam in the sunshine. I spent a day alone here in the sun after the Paradiso show last year. I want to do it again. Oh well. Chatted to Ian and Tim who had joined me for coffee before going upstairs to pack and leave for Fuskipol Airport. Maybe I should see if I can rent an apartment at gate D3. Spent the flight to Birmingham writing this diary. The trouble with a journal like this is that its upkeep fills in the few spare holes in a frantic life, when I could really do with the time to relax. I suppose it keeps me out of trouble. At Birmingham, we were met at the terminal by a limo, which took us to the Hyatt Hotel. Posh American mirror glass high-rise, unfriendly receptionist, friendly cleaners. It wasn't raining after all, so I dropped my bags and went for a Saturday afternoon walk. I'd never really got my teeth into Birmingham, so I thought this was a good chance to suss out the shops. I was pleasantly surprised. During the course of the afternoon, I found an optician who can put new lenses in my American sunglasses, a clothes shop full of great T-shirts and jackets... Too dear at the moment, but nice to know about. A good little record store in the Piccadilly Arcade, reminiscent of London Piccadilly's Burlington Arcade, where I bought the current Radiohead, Elastica and Björk CDs. And a flower stall, where I bought a bunch of chrysanthemums and freesias. Yeah. Returned to the hotel and wrote in the diary again while sipping a Bacardian Coke and trying to imagine I was on a warm beach somewhere. At six in the evening, I closed the curtains and went to bed, sleeping soundly for an hour, until the phone rang. It was Tim Bricus to let me know I was needed downstairs at eight. Got up, ordered a club sandwich from room service, eleven quid, showered, ate the sandwich and then made my way down in the glass lift, which offers the nearest experience to jumping off a high building without the sudden stop at the bottom. We were driven the short journey to Exposure, a rock club festooned with posters of our forthcoming album. Oh dear, I suppose there was a time, a long time ago, when I might have been excited by all this. Lately I just feel like a car dealer in these situations. We were seated at a trestle table while people filed past getting CD sleeves, pictures, t-shirts and parts of their bodies signed. Quite a lot of them had previously spoken to me after shows and treated me more like an old chum than someone they were a fan of. It was a bit of a relief and diffused much of the stupidity of the situation. People kept offering to buy me drinks. I had to keep explaining that I was getting drinks for nothing from the bar and that it's the thought that counts. Nonetheless, they bought me them anyway. Sweethearts. After we had signed all there was to sign... I hung around chatting to anyone who wanted to chat and we later moved on to another rock club, the name of which escapes me. One thing is for sure, we don't belong in these places. I can't really take this culture seriously. You might say I'm missing the point that it's all just a bit of fun anyway, which is fair enough, but then it's not my idea of fun either. I'm sure the kids also know we don't belong here. Not belonging, it's that age-old feeling. The thing about not fitting in is that it's okay if you can find an alternative subculture of people who don't fit in in the same way, hence the phenomenon of the cult. But then not fitting into a cult causes us the same worries as not fitting into society as a whole. Shut up, Steve. You're wandering again. I sat in the shadows talking to Rory and Kathy, who had been at the other place as well. I wasn't very good company and eventually accepted their offer of a lift back to the Hyatt. Tim Brickers, the consummate professional, materialised from the discreet distance where he'd been keeping an eye on me and accompanied us back, staggered to bed, wondering once again why I'd stayed up so late.
1: And we're back, way. And I've got a couple of quick questions to finish off. Um, nothing, nothing too challenging, because uh, I think I think H is fading a little. Um, I'm, fa- I'm well. Right. I just want to be in the garden, so you know. I'm all
0: right, right. <coughs> Anyway,
1: anyway, anyway. Yeah. Here's the first question: Travel sickness. You can't that? read, write, and go on a bus at the same time, can you? Because I can't. I'm terrible with it.
0: No, it makes you feel a bit strange after a while. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Re- reading in a moving vehicle can make you feel a bit nauseous and makes me feel a bit nauseous. Same with writing.
1: It does with me, but I'm fine on a plane and I can't explain why it's okay on a plane, but I can't do it on a train or a bus. Oh. Ah. Because I can mm-hmm. read on a plane.
0: Yes, fine. I can, I to my heart's content. I've, yeah. I've often written a diary on long-haul flights, you know, got all that up to date. Um, yeah, it's a good question. I've never given it a thought. I suppose on a plane you're just sort of rumbling, aren't you? Yeah. You're not that conscious of things going by. No. And there aren't those sudden left to right movements. I mean, they're, up, they're up and down a bit. Maybe up and down's better than left and right. Yeah, I, don't I think so. Know. Well,
1: don't and know. your eye's not being caught by things out the window, is it? You're not no. going past things, are you? So you're not doing that? <laughs> no. You hope not, anyway. <laughs>
0: fighter jets that kind of thing yeah
1: (laughs) that kind of that kind of thing
0: (laughs) ufos bits bits of the engine going by yes
1: (laughs) bits of the space station just falling to earth (laughs) right um um, oh it's interesting that you've got travel sickness as well um and the the other thing really and this is a slightly rambly question but that those few days of album launch sound a bit bonkers is album launch always a bit bonkers because you seem to be moving from different format to different format so you'd gig one place but then in birmingham you're doing a signing session in in a rock club and then you would got a a 1am start in amsterdam for for a gig is is that typical of or was it typical of album launch stuff that you'd go and it was just going to be full on things at a moment's notice loads of stuff chucked in all a bit
0: yeah, it was always totally random. Um, was always busy in Holland because for whatever reason more media was interested in us in Holland than were in other countries. And so some days you, you'd have two or three members of the band in different hotel rooms doing back to back interviews all day long, from, you know, ten in the morning till six, you know, and you'd maybe get half an hour off. And the half an hour that was built into the schedule for you to have off would usually get taken up because, in my case, I'd talked too much. So I was, I was always a bit behind. And so the, 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 the half hour that was built in to let me clear my head never happened. And it would just be all day long. Mm. And by the end of it, by the end of a day of people shuffling into a room one by one, Many of whom are asking you the same questions, you can't remember if you've answered them or not. Yeah. And I'd get halfway through an answer and go, Have I said this? And they'd go, No. And I go, Oh, right, I'll carry on there. And, you know, it would get parrot fashion and you'd turn off and you'd be answering, you'd be looking at a journalist answering a question, thinking about the south of France or whatever, you know, thinking about something else, something, you know, I'm not. I'm. I'm not. I mean, creative people aren't very good at focusing on a good day, <laughs> but um, that's why they're creative because they've never been able, able to <laughs> to stop themselves dreaming. Um, so I've been rapping away, you know, for the twenty seventh time, giving them this giving them this answer that I didn't really mean, or you know, it comes back to that truth thing again. Uh, where you go, oh, he's asked question A, all right, hit answer button A and zone out. So you could, you could get to that point. Um, and that's not good, really. Um, but journalists, they know that... I mean, it it would be great if everyone was happy with the press conference where you can just sit yeah. at a table with Do 25 guys in the room. They can all ask you the questions they want to ask you and you can answer them. And then you answer them all, those questions once and everybody writes them down. But journalists Me- don't like to do that. They they want to feel that they've got an exclusive.
1: I think you should do one of the Downing Street briefings. <laughs> I think that would really work. <laughs> I don't know who you'd have to the left and the right of you, but I think that could really work.
0: I could have Lord Bean on my right holding up the rabbit. I told you about him and drawing the rabbit on the piece of paper which would just come up behind the head of the journalist and down again uh, when he felt I'd gone on too long. <coughs> I could do with that. I think you
1: should do one of the Downing Street conferences.
0: <laughs> I
1: mean, how could that end badly? <laughs> You know, yeah. how could that possibly end badly? <laughs> it'd be a long
0: briefing. Oh,
1: it'd be fab. It'd be absolutely fab.
0: <laughs> it would meander.
1: And you were still doing, it sounds like the the, um, the Amsterdam, not the Amsterdam, the Birmingham thing, The these, these rock clubs you end up into in Birmingham, it sounds like you were still doing lots and lots of signings.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we were. We were back then. People always wanted autographs and, you, you know, or you'd go to a record store and sign stuff for people. Um, or you'd go to yeah well, i I seem to remember we went it was Rock City, I think wasn't it? We went there, and I don't know if we did a show or just went to Rock City and signed stuff hmm. um it it all it's all become a bit of a blur blur um but pro- you know promo is it's all right and you know the you hit a sweet spot with promo where you've been asked the same question enough times to have actually formulated a good answer so you you gradually (laughs) settle on one you hit the sweet spot and then you go beyond that where you're really not thinking at all because you're on autopilot but up until you get to the sweet spot they'll ask you a question and you go oh i don't know really you know you, you you know you just seem like a moron and eventually you get to that, "Oh well, yes, we did that because of blah blah, blah, and I think you'll find Proust said blah blah blah,, <laughs> you know you hit the sweet spot where you sound reasonably intelligent
1: <laughs> and that and that happened, did it
0: <laughs> what what happened?
1: Did you hit that sweet sweet spot
0: <laughs> no, no, I'm saying you I'll hit it eventually, <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 oh. Oh dear! But it was a different world. It was slightly different back then. I'm assuming promo was slightly different because of EMI as well. But they'd they'd have a way of doing it, wouldn't they? That was very
0: kind
1: yeah. Of it was it,
0: it was much more intense. Um, the manager, you know, the manager and the record label between them would would perhaps care slightly less about your welfare right. than Lucy does these days. She's pretty. Because she used to work for EMI, so she, she's she got a lot of experience uh, from that side of the table. But she's also been so close to us for so long, she's got a lot of experience of our perspectives and what we struggle with. So she she's usually instrumental in setting it up in such a way that it's it's a bit more civilised and it's not burning us out. At the same time, maybe the world's just less interested in us <laughs> than it used to be. So it's not—it's not quite so intense in that <laughs> sense either.
1: <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I'll—I'm I'll just, just going to leave that one. Well, hanging, I'm I just
0: think. you know pondering the the possibilities.
1: Well, we need to wrap up simply because I need to go out with with my a eldest bang. and buy a cricket bat. <laughs> As well, I've just thought.
0: <laughs> You're off out to buy a cricket bat.
1: I've got to go and buy a cricket bat, yeah. Totally Josh needs a new that. cricket bat. Uh he's, he's he's going through cricket bats. It's just a height thing. So we, we can't decide oh. whether it's a six or a harrow today. So we're oh. going to go and be measured for a cricket bat.
0: Wow, can you be yeah. measured for
1: one? Well, I don't think so. I think they put it in your hands and they think if it, if, it, if it's where the handle sits around it's your middle... Taller it's taller than yeah. you. a
0: smaller one.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't think it's that... You know, isn't it? Clark's haven't had a lot to do with the the process. I think it's just oh, it looks a bit big. That better get a smaller one,
0: right?
1: But there's a there's a there's a guy mm. about five miles away from here. We've got quite a few places around here that make cricket bats. There's quite a quite an industry in in small bespoke cricket bat makers. Ooh. Ooh. So we're going to Jedi Cricket, which is near here, and uh, and we'll go and and we'll go and
0: get a new bat. Have they got any rejects nick one and i'll fill hmm. it full of switches
1: <laughs> switches i've always meant to ask do you, do you have you ever played cricket because you do have a fascination with the cricket bat don't you is <laughs> it is it a, is it it a spinal is. tap fascination
0: well i live on a village green and there's cricket every saturday uh and at the end of the season each summer they have a village idiots match and i i play <laughs> in the idiots match and i'm absolutely beyond so far beyond crap it's not true Uh, And it's quite a relaxed cricket match and usually involves people standing, fielding with with a drink in their hand. And I've played in about three or four times now and every time, without exception, I've nearly had to go to hospital. Um, Either because a a ball hit me square on the shin or on the elbow or something. Um, Or because I've slipped down and dislocated something but um, the year before last because there wasn't one last year because of the pandemic but the year before last someone had had the bright idea i think the umpire needed a pee or something and he went off to the pub to have a pee and somebody said oh h you know why don't you you can be the umpire i went all right no oh, idea you know, but but uh, cool stand there so i had to stand at Whatever it is, square off or whatever they call it, um, which was dangerously close to the batsman, and quite a burly chap who's got a bit of bit of a um, competitive spirit who lives across the green, David. Um, he hit this ball really hard, uh, which travelled from him to me faster than I could think, and. <laughs> And, and and hit the gin and tonic that I had in my oh. hand. I was all covered in splinters of glass and blood. Oh. Um, and all the ladies of the village were running across uh, to help and, you know, check I was all right. So I was surrounded by the ladies, which was all right. Um, and and so that's that's sort of soaked into village legend as well. The yeah. uh, The incident was... David Walker, nearly put me in hospital last time. And and we've just had a, an email go around for this year saying, are you in? And I'm thinking, oh,
1: God. Oh, you've got to
0: do it. Well, that's what everybody says, you see. You've got to do it. Phil Brown says he'll come up from London specially just to witness it, but what? He'll, he'll take the piss. That's the only reason he's going to drive here.
1: Oh well, I was just thinking exactly the same thing. I was thinking <laughs> I just need were. to be there. I need to be at the village idiots <laughs> cricket game.
0: I do it in the cobblies.
1: Do you? And
0: I, oh. and I and I wear the old anti-flash. I wear the black, oh. the two black anti flashes Yeah, you know, for extra. Yeah. When I'm bowling. Yeah.
1: I'm, yeah. I, I, I need to be there. I need to be there. I'll, I'll get in touch with Phil and we'll work it out between the two of us. <laughs> We can we can so, yeah, come up with some yeah, heckles.
0: Play cricket, <coughs> in my own way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, one point I was thinking, I was thinking, oh, I need to be sympathetic about your injury, and then I thought, but it's because you were holding a gin and tonic.
0: It was on that occasion. Yeah, I'm yeah. far too close to the batsman.
1: Oh yeah. yes,
0: <laughs> yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. Don't don't just do went, that. <laughs>
0: it just <laughs> went batting like that. <laughs> Oh, a as an covered in glass and blood, thinking, "Well, there goes me gin?"
1: Oh, so you didn't do the other end then? You didn't? You didn't get a chance to have a go at the umpiring from behind the wickets end?
0: No, no, it was just very brief, right? That stint, and then they decided perhaps I shouldn't do any more umpiring after right.
1: that. I've so got, I've got go a on. vision of you with six different sweaters over you and four caps. You know where they, where mm. everybody dumps their clothes on the umpire. I've got a vision of you just behind the behind the wickets, covered in. Everybody's jumpers.
0: Yeah. Well, I, it, oh, I'd be happy to hold their drinks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, well, let let me know when it is. I think we should do a live <laughs> podcast from the oh, from boy, the cricket. The end. I think that, that, that's got to work. How can that possibly not work?
0: Yes. <laughs> What's the right. chances of me letting you know would be yeah, a better question.
1: Not a hope in the slightest. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I bet Miles will tell me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I've got a leak. <laughs> right.
1: And I haven't asked that question. I'll I'll save that for next time the other question. Oh. All no, oh, right. right. Um anyway, um have a have a good week.
0: In, enjoy the sunshine. All right. Thank you. Have a good week yourself. And have right. a good week everybody out there in the in the mad world. Um I hope you're all right and you haven't got the plague or if you have got the plague I hope you don't get too sick with it. And uh, get out in the garden if you can. Yeah. Good shout. Stay off the drink. Top tips. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like cricket, oh no. I love it Yeah Oh, like Jamaica Oh, no I love her Don't you walk through my world Got to show some respect Don't you walk through my world Cause you ain't gotten out yet Thank you Yvonne Van Fien Merci beaucoup Mouton Saint-Ange And someone who calls himself Dark morning Dark morning I don't like dark morning I love him. Oh yeah
1: Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.